Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I still pinch myself, but thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. He was jailed for dangerous driving, was in death. What needs to be remembered, she was on the phone talking to him. He drove his motor vehicle toward her and crushed her. Imagine, whilst you're talking to a friend on the phone, that she suddenly stops. You hear some really strange noises and then the phone just cuts out. And shortly afterwards, you learn that the reason the phone cut out was because your friend was struggling for her life, having been mown down by her partner's car in a violent rage. Alicia Little's partner of four years had left her to die, only weeks after earlier asking her to marry him. Melissa, our guest today, and her family were friends with Alicia Little and her partner, Charles Evans but she was unaware that her friend Alicia was making plans to leave Charles. It just confirms that one of the most dangerous times in a tumultuous relationship is when a partner finds out plans are being made to leave that relationship. Melissa and her family were thrust into the world of police interviews, giving evidence at court and dealing with the psychological damage that the crime had on her and her family. Charles Evans pleaded guilty to one count of dangerous driving causing death and one count of failing to render assistance after a motor vehicle accident for which he was sentenced to four years jail. Having to serve just over 
two years before being eligible for parole. Yet, he received a five-year cancellation of his driver's licence. So, in essence, his licence to drive a motor vehicle could be seen as being considered more serious and causing his fiancée's death. Thank you so much for joining us today, Melissa. Hi, thank you very much for having me here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I believe uh, you've had a fairly tumultuous 24 hours. I have. Uh, my mum, Marilyn, uh, who's, I mean, she's the most amazing mother you could ever imagine, really, but uh, she <laughs> had a major heart attack yesterday and thankfully she's all right. She's had a stent placed into her heart and she's in hospital and all the signs are good and the prognosis is good. So we'll uh, keep whacking away. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm even more thankful that um, you've taken an hour out of um, your day to uh, talk to us. But as uh, you, we were saying just before the interview, uh, you don't have much choice with COVID. I can't imagine you can't even go down and see your mum. That must that must be terrible. Uh, it it's the hardest part as a you know normal reaction is get the kids looked after and get down there and drop everything that you're doing and. You know, do what needs to be done and have the family together. And and at the moment, uh, even my dad can't go in with my mum at the moment. She's on her own in the hospital. So we're all just got to sit on our hands and wait to be told information and and just keep talking to her on the phone, keep the conversation going so she doesn't feel on her own in the hospital. I cannot imagine my husband being in um, in hospital having that sort of a major incident and operation and not being able to be next to him and hold his hand. I just can't imagine it. So I I feel for you all. But again, thank you so much for um, taking time out. Um, So you've been through a lot over the past 18 months. um, And I suppose for today, my plan is for you to tell us a little bit about what actually happened with your friend. And then I wanted to talk about the justice system and what it's like being a witness or being involved in a crime. So could you tell us a little bit about how you um, met Alicia and Charles? Uh, My husband and I train racehorses and uh, Alicia and Charlie, uh, they owned racehorses and they approached us about training of their horses uh, they were living in the Rills Creek, Gisborne area at the time but were moving out to Kiton and the house that they had organised to rent wasn't quite ready yet. It was being renovated a bit. So not only did we take on their horses but um, Charlie and Alicia actually lived with us at the stables. They were living in a caravan for, for about, I think it was four months while the house was getting ready. Uh, so they... We saw them on a daily basis um, around the stables. You know, Alicia was in love with the horses. She had a real passion for it. So she'd <laughs> help out around the stables and put the horses on and off the walker and, and weed around the gardens and things like that. So that was how we came to know them. And we lived at the stables facing the race course and Alicia and Charlie moved into a house on Lavender's Lane on the opposite side of the race course, so there was only the race course in between us. Um, and they came to the stables every day, and, and Alicia and Charlie regularly came to the house as well. 
uh, it was pretty much a daily basis. But Alicia struck up a really particularly close relationship with my youngest daughter, uh, Louise. She was five at the time. Um, Louise is very artistic, very creative, and, and Alicia had uh, was a circus performer and um, had worked in the carnivals and things like that for a long time. So she used to come and take my daughter, basically come and grab her and take it back to her place. And they do things like face painting and painting rock gardens and so forth. And they would do that almost daily. So Alicia was obviously uh, sort of almost part of the family, I suppose. She was, very much so. Both, Both of them were to a point. But Alicia went that extra mile. She, she I mean, she really um, came into the family as part of it. My kids really considered Alicia as, as an extended member of our family. So could you take us to um, the, uh, the phone call um, and take us through uh, briefly what happened there? Yes, yeah, so it was on the 28th of December 2017. My grandfather had passed away on Christmas Eve um, and my, my kids were going away with my husband's family. Um, on the, they were supposed to be going away on the 29th to spend a few days up there and because we'd had a bit of a tough Christmas, um, Mick and I had decided to take the kids down to Water Gardens, go watch a movie and do some shopping and just go do something, you know, fun and relaxing for the day. Uh, Mick had seen Charlie earlier in the day, about lunchtime at the stables, and Charlie had indicated that they they were having an argument. Uh, he'd actually asked my husband if if they couldn't work it out, if he could move into the stables. Um, Mick didn't sort of take a lot of notice of it at the time, as you wouldn't. He just said, you'll be right, mate, you know, you'll sort things out, da-da-da. And then we went down to Water Gardens. My husband, Mick, was in the cinemas with our younger two kids and my oldest daughter and I were in the shopping centre. And I got a phone call at 3.45 from Alicia and uh, and she said, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year and all that, SH. And and I had, had a bit of a giggle and I said, I said to her, Sorry, I haven't rang you in a couple of days, Dale. And I went to go say, let her know that my grandfather did pass away because Alicia had actually looked after my kids for a couple of nights while I was down the hospital with them, with my grandpa. And uh, before I could get that out, there was this really loud whooshing noise. Um, It was just thunderously loud. Uh, where they lived was notoriously terrible for reception, so I thought the call had cut out. And I tried to ring her back, and it rang back, it rang out. And then I texted her, and I said, I "Just text her what happened." And I didn't hear a response back from that. She rang me at three forty-five. At three fifty, Charlie rang my husband, and uh, when he rang my husband, he'd said, "Oh." Alicia and I have just had a bit of a barney. Can I come to your place to cool down? Mick's response is, yeah, no worries, mate. You know where everything is. Help yourself. We're not home. Mm. And he he said, oh, well, if you're not home, I'm not going to go in. I would, I would never enter anybody's house without them being home. Fifteen minutes later after that, 
he rang my husband again and he said, Alicia had tried to commit suicide. Alicia's tried to commit suicide. I don't know what's going on. They're trying to resuscitate her. Um, I've got to get back there. At this stage, he was at our home. He travelled mm-hmm. from their place to our house. Um, my husband rang me and he just said, I've got to get back to Kite and you've got to come sit with the kids in the movies. I thought he was trying to get out of a bad movie. <laughs> Pretty much told him, toughen up, princess, you'll be right. <laughs> and, um, and he goes, and he said, no, no, I've, I've got to get back. Charlie's just rang me. He said, Alicia's tried to commit suicide. They're trying to resuscitate her. I responded, well, she can't off. I was just talking to her. And he's, what do you mean you were just talking? I said, I was just talking to her. And I've started to get a bit hysterical at this stage. My oldest daughter's taking control. I mean, she was only just turned 15 at the time. She's had to take control and say, Mum, Mum, let's just find Dad, go talk to Dad. So we, we met outside the movie theatre and he said to me, I've got to go to Kite. Charlie's rang me. He's told, he's told me she's tried to commit suicide along those lines. I kept repeating myself over and over again. She can't off, she can't off. I was, I was literally just talking to her on the phone. My oldest went into the movie theatre to sit with the other kids and my husband and I started to try and make calls um, to find out what was going on, trying to ring her phone. Charlie's phone, so forth. Eventually, I got hold of Charlie and uh, I said to Charlie, what the hell is going on? And, and uh, he responded with, she's off her head. She's, she's off her head. She's gone off her head now. Alicia was bipolar, but very well-treated bipolar. If you met her, you would never have known it. Um, I only know because she she told me, so that's what I'm led to believe. She was bipolar, but she was under regular care of doctor and you would never have known it. I said to Charlie, I said, what, has she gone off her meds or is she not taking them? And, and he started going down that line. I don't know, I don't know. She just went off her head. She'd bitten on the nose. Da, da. Then he said, I said, how? Had what's happened? He goes, oh, I don't know, I don't know. She's she's just tried to kill herself. And then I said to Charlie, she can't off. I was just talking to her on the phone. His immediate response, he just switched and he said, I can't talk to you anymore. She rang the police on me. The the cops are going to arrest me. Okay. And then he hung up. Um, from that point onwards, it was already being reported on local news outlets um, that there had been a murder to a wife of a horse trainer in Kyton. Obviously, I'm a wife of a horse trainer in Kyton, and the aerial from the helicopters was showing the race course, which is where we lived. Uh, people have started to think that something's happened to me or somebody we know. People are we're calling Mick's phone flat out. He was responding with, no, 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 we don't know what's going on. A friend's in hospital. Da, da, da. I try. I rang a friend of mine who works in local laws and I said to her, I don't know what's going on. Charlie's rang Mick and told Mick that Alicia's tried to kill herself, but I was talking to her. And she said to me, look, 
let me find out what's going on. Called me back and said, Mel, you need to ring the police. I can't tell you what's going on over the phone, but you need to call the police. As we did that, my husband came up. I've started trying to call Alicia's phone, and my husband walked up the laneway where all the cafes are, and he said, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to ring Alicia. He goes, well, there's no point ringing her phone. He's got it. What do you mean he's got her phone? He goes, well, he told me when he rang me the first time that when they had an argument and he left, he took her phone. Straight away, I've grabbed my husband's phone. My phone call was at 3.45. The first one from Charlie was 3.50, and I started to realise something was really Mm. wrong. Mm, You smelled a rat. Yep, I started to realise. I still didn't understand at that time, but I knew something was really wrong. So I ran into the JB Hi-Fi like some psychopathic, bawling my eyes out, hysterical woman. <laughs> God knows how they th- what they thought. Grabbed the phone charger. I ran out to the car. My husband waited at the cinemas for the kids. I ran out to the car and I Googled the Kitan police number and, and I rang the local police station. Um, and by the time my husband got back to the car, the homicide squad were calling us. We still didn't realise at that time that that was the homicide squad. I, I just didn't take yeah. it in. No, you wouldn't. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and the police officer, uh, we had the three kids in the car too, so I was trying to be very aware not mm. to speak in front of my younger two. My oldest daughter had already seen it on Snapchat. It was being... Mm. Posted on Snapchat through the news, so she had already seen it, and knew she actually knew what was going on before we did. In in essence, but uh, uh, the police rang us back. We need to speak to you. Uh, We need to see you straight away. Can you come into the station? I explained to them that I had three kids in the car. My parents were on the way home. Could I drop the kids off? We went into the police station. We spent approximately the next six hours being interviewed one at a time, separated and just repeating the story over and over again. Melissa, what were your dealings like initially with the police? What were your um, initial thoughts? Did you think that they handled it well? Did you think that um, were you frustrated? Uh, Can you tell me about that? Uh, To be honest, when we went into the station, um, usually they interview you separately and at the same time. They they didn't have the manpower. It was Christmas time and everyone was on the scene because it had happened so quickly. Uh, so I can only say that the, the police that were there um, at the station at that time were amazingly supportive. Uh, they, they brought in blankets and you know, cups of tea and whatever they oh, could. Nice. They yep. were highly emotional themselves. Uh, I was approached while my husband was being interviewed. I'd gone outside and I'd broken down in tears and, and a female officer approached me with her partner and she was she was quite visibly upset herself and she great grabbed me in a big cuddle and just hugged me and let me cry. I, I can't say that anything bad in that moment that the officers that returned from the scene were very visibly upset themselves um it was quite a traumatic scene 
and they were very, very supportive to us. The only thing that I could say was very difficult was once because we were, there was only one person that could interview us, it meant hours sitting on your own in a room slowly piecing things together in your head and, and that realisation of what's gone on. And we still, we didn't know for a couple of days afterwards that it was a motor vehicle because obviously they wanted what, you know, clean evidence as such. They wanted we your untainted. Untainted, untainted. evidence. Yep, yep. yep. Um, so we didn't realise for a couple of days until you, you see the vehicle being towed away in the news and you start to realise what's happened. Um, but they, the officers at the time were very supportive to us as they could be, but it was but it was also difficult that I was sitting in a room for domestic violence posters all over the wall uh, and you're sitting in that little room for hours and hours on end just looking at these posters and I could actually hear Charlie in the room behind me. Um, he was just down the hall at the same police station so that was really difficult but the officers supported me to the very best of their abilities at the time. Uh, and, and look, Melissa, I understand that, you know, as you say, it was Christmas, they were under, um, they just didn't have the manpower. But it just to, if I can go back a couple of things there, you said a couple of times that the police were visibly upset. Yes. Do, do you have a, um, a an explanation as to why you think they were so upset? We're all humans. At the end of the day, we're all human and, and the scene was very traumatic. Alicia was found, um, you know, it's difficult because I obviously don't want to upset other listeners and that, but she was found foaming at the mouth and everybody and every single bone in her body uh, from her waist up was broken except one. Oh. Everything was broken. Um, it, it was, it would have been a really traumatic scene. I, I feel sorry, you know, I feel for those first responders the ambulance and the police that originally turned up. It, from all accounts, it was a really grotesque, traumatic scene. Melissa, I think the re- the reason I'm asking that is um, when you in a, a country station and let's and Kyneton is um, well, it's not metropolitan. I'm just wondering whether the police that um, attended the scene. They were locals, so they locals. may have known um, uh, Alicia. That's the, what I'm wondering. Like I've worked in the country before in a country station and you know everybody in the community and that is very, very difficult. And that's what I was wondering whether um, you thought that was a, um, one of the reasons why they were so visibly upset. Not a doubt in the world. I mean, they, they're local. We just don't have these things happen in Kite. Uh, yeah, I couldn't even tell you the last time anything. I've lived here for 15, 15 years. I've lived here and I lived here when I was younger as well and I can't remember anything like this ever happening. We're a little tight-knit community. Alicia and Charlie have both been the local clubs, you know, pubs and restaurants and, you know, everywhere. We, we all interlinked with each other in these towns. What's the population of Kyneton, just roughly? Any idea? Uh, to be honest, I really couldn't tell you. I, but it's, it's small. not a number I've ever taken into account. But we are yeah. uh, we are a small uh, region, a small rural yeah. region. Uh, 
on the larger side if you're talking about rural communities, but very much a farming community. Uh, everybody does, everybody knows each other and you walk into your local post office and you're on a first name basis and yeah. same as the yeah. service station and so forth, the local cafes, they know what you eat and <laughs> very yeah. small community in that way. Yeah. Um, and going back to being in that room on your own, uh, there's so much, and again, I know we're not um, criticising the police because you can only do what you can do um, with the uh, members that you've got. But if in a perfect world, what would you have appreciated in that room while you're waiting to be interviewed? In a perfect world, it probably would have been nice to have had somebody sitting in the room Yeah, when, you, when you're on your own. And you're sitting there for hours. And as I said, they didn't have the manpower to interview us at the same time, which meant it doubled the length of time we were in there for because my husband and I had to be interviewed separately. And then when some evidence would match up or, as it, well, when somebody would raise something like the mobile phone, then they'd have to stop the interview, get the other person in, take their side and you're back and forth. Uh it would have been nice to have had somebody sitting in the room with you, even if even if they just went about their own business, uh, because the most awful, horrible things start coming into your head. And particularly when I could hear Charlie being interviewed in the room behind me, I couldn't hear what was said, but I could hear him raising his voice every now and again. Uh, that was terrifying. Oh, yeah. I thought that. When you, when you start to realise, on our way home to the police station, we actually didn't even know if Charlie was still at our house. We didn't know that he'd been arrested and taken to the police station. We actually didn't mm. know. We, To be honest, we thought, uh, I mean, my husband had heard Charlie on a conversation arriving back at the property um, saying that, that's my girlfriend, um, you know, I need to know what's going on. And, and he heard the police because Charlie had rang him on purpose when when he was about to be arrested and left the phone on speaker. So Mick could, obviously, so Mick could hear everything. And I could only imagine that if for any reason he might be able to try and use something. Uh, but we didn't know whether he'd been arrested at his property or our own home because we told the police he was at our house. So driving to the station, we still didn't know where he was. So in that room and you know he's behind you and you know that this man has just killed somebody. But we don't know how and we don't know what's happened. Um, to have somebody in the room with you would have been a great comfort. 
quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Just somebody asking you if you'd like a cup of tea, I suppose, really. Yeah, or well, something to eat because we didn't eat and we didn't walk out of that police station till 1 a.m. And what time did you arrive there? Uh, we arrived at approximately 7 o'clock. Uh, no, okay. sorry, 6 o'clock approximately. It would have been between 5 and 6 o'clock. How long? Um, when they eventually took your statement, how long did that take? Uh, I can't remember the timelines, to be honest, because we were in and out. Mm. Yeah, okay. uh, They spoke to Mick first and then myself. I probably didn't go in for a good two hours after Mick. So at a, at a guess, I'd be saying we, I went in probably between seven and eight, um, and Mick would have gone in between five and six. But like I said, the times of things, apart from 3.45 and 3.50 of those phone calls that I'll never forget, the times of entering and exiting rooms, you didn't really take that into account because they had the police had our phones. They took our phones. Um, so we didn't have anything there. Did they replace them? Did you have a, a phone to use, you know, while the police were um, examining your phones? Uh, no, not at the time, no, but they did return them to us before we left the station. So oh, they okay, were able right. to yeah, they were able to get everything off the phone because it was so fresh. Yeah, um, good. Okay. All the call logs were there straight away. Okay. Uh, so 
you um, you give your statement and um, you leave the police station and in the um, the the system, what happened next? Um, you uh, got um, obviously you found out what had happened, but can you tell us um, a little bit about um, getting the um, um, what do you call it? the paperwork to go to court and if you were updated along the way before court? Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yes, I can. Well, to be honest, I'll point out one of the hardest things was the very next morning. As I said, we left the station at one a.m. Um, and we didn't get any sleep, obviously, that night. But by 7 a.m. in the morning, there was a news crew in our driveway. They they literally turned up at our house. and We hadn't even begun to process what was going on, and there's this news crew with their camera in your face asking you what's happened sort of thing. And I rang the police and I said, listen, I've got a news crew here. I don't know what to do. I don't know, yeah. I didn't know what to do. Um, they they advised me to speak on camera um, and to talk about, Alicia, just talk about your friend because, to be honest, if you don't, they'll continue. They'll, they'll keep haunting you. I look back on it now. I wouldn't have done that at that time. Again, I, I would have preferred to have just had um, our own time because we hadn't even seen our children. We dropped them off the day before not knowing what was going on and they were with my parents and we hadn't even had a chance to talk to our kids yet and they were then seeing our faces on the news, which yeah. absolutely broke them. Um, they're seeing, you know, seeing my husband and I in the news and I was hysterical and things like that. If there was just something that I would have really liked some advice on before we'd left that station, it would have been to talk us through, now this is something that may occur and had some better preparation around that because we certainly weren't prepared for it and it was really traumatic for our kids and for, my, and for our parents as well. Um, and following that, we were asked to come back in again the next day, do another interview each and we'd actually discovered that Charlie had used the hose in our driveway because our hose sits in a water trough permanently. Uh, the next morning I went to go feed the horses and I noticed I turned on the water to fill up the trough because it was the middle of summer and the hose was actually running down our driveway. So we knew straight away he'd used the hose to obviously attempt to wash his car. So the police had got us back in again. We did another interview and I think they do that as a general process anyway to see if there's anything you remembered. We then got another statement after that um, and then from there we did get a phone call from what's called Anglicare, uh, Support Service for Victims. It was probably two to three days before we heard from them you're really in the dark that whole this whole time leading up to your first court date. There's actually not a lot of information given to you to really prepare you for what's involved. You do get a phone, you do get emails from the police and the the leading detective. You get emails saying you know you're required. Um, 
this is what's needed or but not so, a lot of person not a lot of personal uh, no, connection no yeah. and the angley care system don't get me wrong the the lady that had spoke to us connected with us she she was lovely 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 lady but the system is so overwhelmed incredibly under-resourced and the the contact that we had was far between and to be honest the counseling services that were provided to us through the victims assistance program was so lacking they were absolutely abominably shortfall is the best way to describe it um we were all sent in as a group and the kids were obviously very uncomfortable talking in front of us about how they felt because they don't mm. want to upset us and vice yeah. versa. Yeah, yeah. So it completely, it was a complete letdown. Um, I was going into the courts, it, same thing again. There, there was nobody talking us through the process. We were supposed to get a court walkthrough. That didn't happen. We were supposed to get some preparation for questioning. That didn't happen. Basically, we went into that first, um, the first day of court. I mean, he took a plea the eve of the trial, the night before the trial, he took a plea, which meant we didn't go to trial. But whether we'd gone to trial or to the hearings, we had no idea, no idea at all what to expect. Do you... <laughs> It, it, it's it's um, glaring the from my point of view the issues they're so easy to fix but because really all you need is a contact person a liaison person that you can ring and I understand the detective in charge you know he's got a lot to do but you are such an important part of that process. Like you were speaking to Alicia when she was actually mown down. So you are a major part of that investigation. And the fact that, um, you know, just little things, well, they're not little things, but the court walkthrough, just to be able to settle you down, just so you know where to walk, where to stand, you know, when the judge comes in, you know, people tell you you stand when the, all, all the little things, um, like they all um, help to make the process so much easier for you and it just doesn't sound like anything like that happened and that's where uh, victims of crime and witnesses like yourself, that's where we need to improve, isn't it? Because it, that is just not good enough. Huge area of improvement, particularly for my husband. He's dyslexic um, and he's, he struggles with his reading and writing. He's brilliant at his job, but that's where he struggles. Um, I approached the, I approached a few people on different occasions and said that he was feeling quite anxious because when he – part of his dyslexia Of course you would be, yeah. Some, sometimes things he says doesn't come out the way that he wants them to. They can come out a bit back to front sometimes. Um, and he that was something that was causing him huge amounts of anxiety that he'd get on the stage and you'd have – Yeah, the, um, uh, in the witness box. Rush, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Uh, He'd get up there and he'd have some QC from the defence trying to bamboozle him, 
That's he right. was really anxious about things like that. We were told multiple times, it's okay, you can ask for something to be read again. Uh, if you don't understand it, you can, um, you know, you can ask the question to be done again. But then there are rules according to that. You can only ask for that three times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're basically deemed as trying to hold, withhold evidence or hold things up. There's no, there's no sort of personal, um, personal attention paid to the fact that for him in particular with his dyslexia, he actually, I know him so well, I've been with him for 20 years, I know how to explain something to him in a way that he can answer it back the way he wants to answer it back. That wasn't taken into account. It's just you answer it to the best of your ability. That's not comforting to somebody that's actually anxious about saying the wrong thing. He didn't want to be responsible for the trial falling apart or something like that because he said something the wrong way. For myself, I really struggled with the witness impact statements. Um, yeah. I mean, to be honest, they're terrible. They're terrible. You can't talk about the crime. You can't talk about the accused. You can't say anything in regards to what you think happened or what may have happened or how it really affected you. You've got to give some sugar-coated um, fluff story, basically. They're really telling you from what you're saying, they're really telling you what to say. Yes. Yet yes. It's supposed to be your victim impact statement, but you can't say what you want to say. That's exactly <laughs> right. That that was personally the biggest let down of the entire process on a personal level is that the one chance because leading up to that court court date we weren't allowed to talk about it we weren't allowed to, we could to a counselor or so forth but we weren't allowed to talk about the details of the case to anyone we're not allowed to share things so the one opportunity you get to speak up is stripped away from you because he took a plea and saved the court time and money. It, it really felt like you had been stripped all over again. Gee, there's a lot we've, you know, there's a lot we can learn. Like I was hoping that we were, uh, as in the police and the justice system, were getting better. But this only happened last year, uh, 2017? 2017, yeah. 2017. So, you know, that's not all that long ago. Um, I just think, and I, I think I hear what you're saying, that you're very appreciative of all the good work that the police did, but in the end, unless people like yourself tell us what it's really like, they're never going to change it. So it's constructive criticism and people have got to take constructive criticism and learn from it because... I feel with your husband's situation, how the peop how the justice system could have dealt with that so differently and caused him such to not be so stressed. Just somebody to take just an hour out of their time to explain or maybe tell you what to expect. We are we're not doing that well, Mel, are we? No, no. To be honest, we're not. It's definitely the court systems where the biggest 
let down occurs. Um, there's no doubt in my mind about that. It's the preparation for that court system. Uh, the, the crime and the interviews and everything themselves, they happen so soon after the crime that there's a lot that you don't take in at that time. Um, but Of course, because you're just it, so stressed. <laughs> exactly. You know, but leading up to the court process, going through the information, explaining it to people, making sure they feel comfortable, taking them into the courts, things like that, uh, we, we were so let down. I mean, Alicia's family, um, thankfully, they made contact with us after they'd seen me on the news and they made contact with us and we've become, you know, if there's, if there's the greatest thing that Alicia has left us with is her family is my family now. You know, we're, we're so close. The kids are all interact and they speak on social media or to each other and things like that. But every one of us have experienced exactly the same thing. I mean, I will speak out and say that there was a lady, I'll remain keep her nameless because she's got a family and a life outside of her job herself. Uh, but the support person for Alicia's mum was amazing. That poor lady pretty much had to not only support Alicia's parents, but she had to support Alicia's family and my family as well because she was the only person that actually provided of us any information about what laid ahead for us. She would sit with us in the courtroom and say, now this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And that actually wasn't her job to do that for us. We were all supposed to have a person. Um, two days out from the court date, I received an email saying that the person that was supposed to be supporting us was on annual leave. Oh, sorry, that is just so – I am shaking my head here. Like there – that is just so um, unprofessional. It, um, and speaking of unprofessional, uh, well, tell me about where is he now? Uh, Charlie was released last week, released early due to COVID and was given permission to return to New South Wales and go to Forbes in the same town that his ex-wife Kim lives who also testified and provided witness statements and had suffered years of violent abuse at the hands of Charlie. And uh, now he will he has been released into the same, into her hometown. Were you advised and told about him being released? No. No, not at all. We weren't. Uh, we weren't I mean, I am, I am gobsmacked at... That it is just one thing after another um, with you not being advised of what has happened. Um, like the fact that he has been released, number one, uh, he wouldn't have done half his time yet, would he? Oh, yeah, he's probably just done half, but yes, you had half. no indication and he just got released last week because of COVID. No indication at all. We didn't even know where he was being released at the time. When we did find out, that he had uh, made an application for release. There was differing stories as to where he was going to be released. The, the town where his 
his family live that is only 15 minutes from my home. Uh, so I wasn't sure if he was going to be released back here, uh, which, I mean, let's be honest, if he gets released back here, he also owned racehorses. I rang Racing Victoria and and spoke to them and said, what do I do? At the moment, yeah, COVID, he can't come to the races. But what happens when those restrictions relax? That's right. Yeah. And he can go to the races as a general member of the public. And my husband and I and my kids, I mean, our kids work with us too. We don't want to see him. We don't want to be faced with him. Of course you uh, don't. The, the intervention orders that are in place are a load of crap, let's be honest. I mean, I think the offer to us was within five metres. He can't come within five metres of us. I mean, five metres still puts me in quite a clear visual view of a man that I never want to see again, a man that's turned our life completely upside down and killed our friend. I mean, this is, this is a thing. He was jailed for dangerous driving, causing death. What needs to be remembered is he actually drove, she was on the phone talking to me, he drove his motor vehicle toward her and crushed her between his vehicle and a concrete tra- a concrete tank. And he, he walked away. Walked and and one of the you know one of the things that I'll never forget in the court is being told that he didn't use excessive speed. That was something that he got a more lenient sentence for that he did oh, not God. use excessive speed. He was driving between the mile pace of 12 to 16 kilometres an hour. And this is something that I will never, ever, ever be able to ever fathom or get over in my life. It doesn't matter whether he was doing 12 to 16 kilometres or 120 kilometres. It was the crush injury that killed her. He deliberately crushed her. Then he got out of his car, picked up her phone, got back in his car and drove off and left her there to die. My phone call was still going to her. That's been hung up. It was disconnected. He's then had the nous to ring my husband not you know, five minutes later, five minutes after he has left her there to die and say to my husband, oh, we've just had a bit of a Barney. Can, can I come around your place till we both cool down? He's well there's aware. No, there's, there's no words. There are no words that can justify or um, give any reason. But this was his fiance. But he was given a more lenient, his fiance, the woman he was supposed to marry. Uh, there, is, there is one thing I'd like to say, though, uh, in addition, while it's acknowledged that the time that a a person chooses to leave the relationship is the most tumultuous, that is for sure, and it definitely is. I would like to say I think we need to change our mantra on that a little bit, that we don't want people also thinking that they can't leave because that's the most dangerous time. Yes, yep, good point. I would would really like it pointed out to say to people that are in these situations, these dangerous relationships, man or woman, 
any dangerous, violent domestic relationship, lean on those that love you, your support group. Reach out to them. It doesn't matter. It's your mother, your father, your cousin, your friend, a counsellor. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Because if Alicia had told me or any of her family or friends what was going on, we would have got her the hell out of there. We would have got her the hell out of there and she would be safe today. But nobody knew she was leaving except for him and she'd sent her mother a text message to say she was leaving, but it was just beforehand. We don't want people in a dangerous relationship being too scared to leave because that's yeah. the most dangerous time. Yeah, you're right. But we also need to acknowledge that that is the most dangerous time. I, I want people to reach out, tell the people that love you, tell them you're in trouble, tell them you're in danger because people don't know that we're all going about our lives every day. I was going about my life that day. I was shopping. My husband was watching a movie. We had no idea that one phone call to each of us was going to change our entire life. We had no idea. Please reach out. Don't be too scared to leave, but also acknowledge that that is the most dangerous time and tell people what your plans are. And, and Mel, I think that's a very strong point uh, to finish on, a very important point. And um, thank you so much for being so brave and so honest because without people like you telling us about where the system needs improvement, nobody's going to know. And I just hope that people out there are listening that are in the justice system that can think about how they can help, um, you know, um, witnesses like yourself, but also those very, very important words that you're saying is to reach out and ask for help. So, Mel, thank you so much. And um, I I love what you did for Alicia. Thank you from Alicia. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you Mel. very much. And I'd also just a quick one. I'd like to thank Kira Olney and Kira Fitzgerald from Oh, Mason our beautiful Warrior. friend Kira. Uh, yes. The, if they didn't continue to reach out to my husband and I, I would be, my family would be in a very different place right now. We were, we were in down a very deep, dark rabbit hole of shock and grief and, and anger and everything else. If, if they did not continue to reach out to me today, there is no way, no way at all that I could feel as strong and confident as I do today. Well, you know, I've known Kira for a long time and that does not surprise me one bit, but thanks, you know, Thank everyone that there's people like uh, Kira around that literally, and they really do genuinely care, don't they? They genuinely care for people. Yep. They certainly do. They, they never left our family side through the entire process and they gave us the support that we needed at the time where the Victims Assistance Program had severely let us down. And oh, I, I just cannot be more grateful for the support that they provided us that now my family's in a position where we feel like we can provide support for others. Mm. Well, thank you again. Thanks, Mel. Thank you very much. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 